I don't know if you've ever experienced that awful moment when you've just said something and then you think, I can't believe I just said that. And just that awful feeling and the floor never does literally open up underneath your feet and you just wish it would. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could unsay your words and sort of (laughs) gobble them back up? Or wouldn't it be great if somebody could invent a remote control device which could pause and rewind real life? I mean, how many people here would have had terrible things saved? They would have saved terrible things being said and awful things happening if you could have just rewound that conversation and said it so much better. Of course, some of you don't have this problem. Some of you are, you know, you're not great talkers. You know, you like to keep things in. Have you noticed that about people who don't say a lot? They seem to be wiser. It's a technique. It's a technique that some people use. Most of us open our mouths and confirm the worst things that you thought about us. I was training as a lawyer many, many years ago, back in 1923. And I trained in a rather unconventional way because I didn't go to university, but I did a kind of apprenticeship uh, with a superb law firm down in Exeter. And uh, my poor, long-suffering boss at the time was a very clever Oxford grad called Peter Lolas. I say long-suffering because he had a huge liability, which was me. Um, I, I just cringe when I think about it now. But despite having no qualifications, no experience at all, I was nevertheless disproportionately confident... <laughs> I know you can't believe this, knowing me, but I talk myself into all sorts of situations and uh, usually off the top of my head and get myself into terrible, terrible trouble. And uh, it was so bad that Peter, my boss, uh, racked his brains and came up with this ingenious method of training me, which was monetary fines. Fine, so that every time I uttered a presumptuous statement or said something I clearly not thought through, he'd take a pound from me. Which, let me tell you, was a lot of money in those days when I was only earning £54 a week. Within a week, I was in some financial difficulties. (laughs) Within a month, I was just about bankrupt. And by Christmas, Peter was becoming rich but I was cured. And as a reward for my progress, Peter gave me back a lot of money. I think it was about £150. Uh, As a Christmas bonus, wasn't he a generous boss? Uh, He gave me back my own money as a bonus. So there you go. And you know, I think Zachariah could have done with some of my training before he spoke to the angel Gabriel in the way that he did. What he said was so bad that the angel had to strike him dumb for nine months as punishment or to make him, or to make sure that he didn't say anything else worse, perhaps. But today I want to look at what not to say to an angel, some invaluable advice which I hope will stand you in good stead should you ever happen to meet one. 
Because it seems to me that there is most definitely a right and a wrong way to speak to one of God's messengers. Zechariah most definitely got it wrong. So let's read about that. It's in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Let's just read that passage together. Luke chapter 1, 5 to 25. In the time of King Herod, time of Herod, king of Judah... Judea even, there was, sorry, there's very little light here, I'm struggling to actually read. Okay, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he's shown me his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Praise God. What a fantastic introduction that is. And uh, actually none of the other Gospels start that way. They don't start here. Uh, Matthew, Mark and John begin either with the birth or the ministry of Jesus. But this is typical of Luke. You see, Luke was a doctor and he was very thorough, and the whole tone of his book reflects this. 
in the painstaking details that he records. I mean, look at some of the words he uses a bit earlier on in the introduction. In verse 3, he talks about having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good to write to me an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. It's all very accurate, it's all very detailed, and it's important for us to understand when we look at this passage that this is a serious factual work by a serious man who, according to verse 2, had interviewed all of the eyewitnesses of the story and cross-examined them, checking their stories against one another. It was a very thorough job that he did, which makes it all the more surprising that a serious man like this tells us that the story of Jesus begins with this angelic visitation. I mean, I wonder what Theophilus made of it, because, I mean, he sounds like a pretty serious man, doesn't he, with a name like that. What would he have made of it? Theophilus, sitting there reading, well, an angel came. Oh, yeah, all right, okay. I mean, what do you make of it? What do you make of the fact that there's an angel appearing to this man? There was a recent Time magazine poll that revealed that approximately 69% of Americans believe in angels, and 46% believe that they have their own guardian angel or angels. And in a Gallup poll, 13% of Americans polled indicated they believed to have had an encounter with an angel or a supernatural being, and I reckon it would be similar for the UK. It would be similar kind of results if we polled people in the UK. And I don't know if you've ever seen an angel um, or been spoken to one or thought perhaps that you may have met one. I mean, the Bible says, doesn't it, that many of us have entertained angels unawares, which presumably means just that, that we were unaware of it. But this is how Luke opens his book with an encounter with the angel Gabriel. Now, in the Bible, names have meanings that are usually important or significant for the role that that particular person, or as it happens on this occasion, this angel, plays in your life. So Gabriel means man of God, or God is my hero. I like that. God is my hero. So Gabriel, God is my hero, appears. And he's got this important message from God to bring to Zechariah. And this is very significant, and you might not realize this, but these were the first people to have heard anything from God for about 400 years. For about 400 years, there's been no intervention, there's been no words from God. Because inexplicably, between the time that lies between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's nothing, there's silence. 400 years where there are no prophets, dreams or revelations, no Bible was being written, there's some manuscripts that have been written and there's lots of questions over those, but basically not a sound God is silent. And for about five generations, people are beginning to wonder if God has just abandoned them completely. I don't know what that must have been like. And then there's this sudden intrusion into the lives of an old man and his wife who've never been able to have children and a young teenage girl in a rough part of town. And what we have here, amazingly, is God breaking into the lives of some pretty ordinary people. And God's intervention comes in the form of Gabriel. God is my hero. Pow! Suddenly appears straight out of the presence of God. And is it any wonder 
that they were frightened. This kind of, God, you don't write, you don't speak, you never visit, and here you are frightening the life out of me. God is my hero. Pow! I know perhaps you've not heard from God. Maybe not for 400 years. There's nobody here that looks quite that age. But maybe you've not heard from God for a long time. Maybe you felt that God has been silent for you. You've had a time of silence. But I want to encourage you today to be expectant. To be expectant of an encounter with God. Because Christmas is all about the supernatural breaking in of God to the lives of ordinary people. And what happens in these angelic encounters, first to Zachariah and then six months later to Mary, are almost identical. If you read the two stories together, you see that Gabriel appears to both of them. He frightens the life out of both of them and then tells them not to be afraid, which I always think is funny. <laughs> Hello, I'm here, but don't be afraid. I'm big and I'm powerful and I'm scary, but just don't be afraid. It's okay. And then they both receive these important messages from God, promising a miraculous birth, as well as the names of John and Jesus, respectively, given to them. And also what each of these children will grow up to do. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have an encounter with God like that when you have your children? (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful for God to turn up like that and just speak to you and say, his name's going to be whatever and this is what he's going to do. I think that'd be fantastic. And then there's a response by both Zachariah and Mary. And these respons- these stories are almost identical except for the responses. This is where they differ, how they respond to the news that the angel brings to them. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at each response and see what we can learn about how to speak to an angel. First of all, we've got Zachariah's response And as we've already read, the angel says to Zechariah, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. Well, Zechariah's response is this, he says, how can I be sure of this? Or perhaps put a little bit more clearly in the message, you get the full tone of what Zechariah is saying, he says, do you expect me to believe this? Do you expect me to believe this? That's the tone. He says, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Staggering, really. I mean, this man has, who was apparently so terrified to speak, spoke to this angel so rudely. I mean, would you have argued with Gabriel? And at such a critical time, if there was ever a time when you should have kept your mouth shut, And you know, Zachariah, he wasn't a bad man. He was a good man. The Bible says that he and his wife were upright and blameless. They weren't perfect, but they walked closely with God and they were faithful. That's what it says in the beginning of Luke. And on top of that, he, along with the rest of Israel, had been longing for this day. They'd been waiting for it, this moment when the Messiah would be revealed, the saviour of the world, the one who would save us from our sins. They'd been waiting for this. 400 years of silence broken. God's angel appears and it's God is my hero. Out of the blue, out of heaven, with this wonderful news he's been waiting for. And Zechariah blows it. You've got to be kidding. Now... And I just found myself wondering why. Why did he react like this? 
Maybe he'd grown cynical. Maybe he got disappointed with God. Maybe he got a bit disillusioned. You know, all these years of waiting and praying, serving, believing. You come now, so late when I'm old. Couldn't you have come when I had the energy, Lord? Don't you know how hard it is to have kids? <laughs> now, perhaps you can sympathize or even empathize. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've had disappointments in your life. Maybe you've grown cynical even because people have let you down. Not only people, maybe the church has let you down. Church people, that's even harder sometimes. People that you thought loved you. Like Judas for Jesus. I don't know why it is, but it seems that Christians, when they hurt you, seem to hurt you even more. (laughs) Or maybe you feel that God has let you down. God, you weren't there for me. Why did you allow that to happen? Whatever the reason, Zechariah's faith falters. You know, in that moment, in that encounter, he forgot the stories that he'd grown up with. You know, the ones about how God had appeared and opened barren wombs in the Old Testament, the stories of old ladies who'd given birth. He'd forgotten these stories and he reacted wrongly so that he disqualified himself. He disqualified himself. He says, how can this be? He says, we're too old for this. We're too old disqualifying himself. I don't know, are you the kind of person that does that? Are you the kind of person that disqualifies themselves? God, you know, it's all right for you saying all this, are you up the front there? You don't know what I've been through, you don't know what I've done, you don't know where I've been. God couldn't have a plan for me, I've just messed up too much. Putting yourself down, thinking of reasons why you can't do this disqualifying yourself, not just disqualifying yourself in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. God, I'm beyond help. If you've ever been there. I've met people like that. They've felt that they've just gone too far. They've sinned too badly. They've done too much. They're too far away. They can never come back. The angel replied. He says, I am Gabriel. (laughs) That's his answer to Zachariah's disqualification. I'm Gabriel. Complete authority stands behind that simple statement. I am. Almost mimicking God himself. I am God's messenger. I am. He knew all about Zachariah. He knew about Elizabeth. He knew how old they were. And Gabriel has this message from God himself. He says, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. I've come to tell you good news. (laughs) And you respond like this. How do you respond to good news? I've come to tell you good news today. I've come to tell you good news. You don't need to disqualify yourself. You are not too far for God to get you. 
You've not gone too far. You've not gone off the road too much. You know, I've, uh, I know many people that have encountered God miraculously. They've seen uh, amazing miracles, healings. They've had dreams. They've had experiences where you'd think, well, surely now, surely now you get it. Surely now you see that God loves you, that, that He's real. Surely now. I remember praying for a, a girl in my office where I worked a few years ago and she had terrible asthma. So bad that she, although she was very young, she could not even walk from her car to her, the front door of her house without stopping on the way because there were steps. And, uh, I remember giving my testimony to her on a trip on one occasion and telling her about how I'd seen God heal people. So one day she came to me in my office having an asthma attack saying, Rob, you said, but I won't do the voice, but it was very asthma-y. She said, you said God healed people. What can you do about my asthma now? And so I said, well, sit on that chair there. I'm going to ask God to come and touch you. And I prayed as a God, come and touch her. Just remove this now in Jesus' name, set her free. And immediately it went like that. The asthma attack was gone. It was over. She could breathe instantly. She said, oh, wonderful. Thank you, Lord. And for several months, she was completely free of asthma. God spoke to her in the night. She had a a vivid dream. God spoke to her so clearly, so powerfully. And she told me this dream, and but she still wasn't convinced. And I thought, oh, Lord, please get her. I said to her, I said, look, I, I just feel you've got to come to Jesus. You've got to give your life to Jesus. Because if you don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I said, I think you'll be ill again. I just felt that. And she didn't. She didn't come to Jesus. And she was ill again. I often think about her. How many people get a touch from God and then they just don't come to God? I don't understand that. But let me ask you today, what will it take for you to believe? What does it take? I think God's asking that question, you know, he does so much. (laughs) What's it going to take to get you? What's it going to take to get you to come to him and give your life to him? There's nothing that can disqualify you. He's dealt with it all. That's what the cross is about. What's it going to take? Zachariah got an angel. And because he didn't believe what the angel said, it says that he was disciplined. He says, now you'll be silent and you'll not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you didn't believe my words. They will come true, you know. Because God's spoken. I've come right out of the presence of God and what I've said is going to happen. I don't know why the angel struck Zechariah dumb. Why didn't he kill him or something, you know? Why didn't he, you know, get his hip, you know, like Jacob? Why, why didn't he, why did he do that? Why did he strike him dumb? I don't know. Why did he stop him speaking? I, I think it's because out of the fullness, the heart speaks. And he had to stop him saying anything else that was going to make it worse. Oh God. Wouldn't it have been good to have had an angel come and do that for me every now and again, eh? No, I'm not going to say that, Lord. But But how often that happens? 
you know, you say the wrong thing. And you think, oh, I said the wrong thing. I'll just say something else to kind of undo it. And then you say an even worse thing. And before you know it, you said such a bad thing that all you can do is just say, I'm sorry, and just walk away. Just hope that they'll pick up the pieces of their lives. (laughs) Obviously, some of you have never experienced that. Um, But you know, Zachariah had to face the consequences of his failure. But you know, the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. But every one of us will have to give account to God one day. And God will discipline those that he loves. And he will do all that he can to bring you onto the right path. And do you know the wonderful thing I love about this story is that despite Zachariah's failure, God didn't withdraw the promise of his blessing for him. He still had the son that he'd been waiting for all these years. God didn't take it away, and yet he'd blown it. I don't know if you feel like that. Oh God, you made these promises to me. But look what I've done. I've got into that relationship. I've I've done that. I've taken that. I've hurt that person. So now what's going to happen? He still had the son whose name he had to spell out. J-O-H-N, because he couldn't speak. He had to spell it out for everybody to see. And you know what that name means? Do you know what the name John means? There are only Johns here. Now Johns. Where's John? Okay, John. Well, Jonathan means, it means he was gracious. John means he was gracious. So all Zachariah had been through, the mistakes he made, the promise of God still came, he was gracious, the baby boy was still born. And this should encourage us. No matter what mess you've made, what what you've done, how much you've blown it, God didn't remove the blessing that he promised, and John is eventually born to Elizabeth. That should encourage you. You can come back to God. There's a way back to God. There's a way to God. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. God is gracious. What promises are still due to you? What promises did God speak to you? I believe there are some people here. Early on, God spoke to you some promises when you were first saved, when you first made a response to Jesus. He said something to you. He made a promise to you. But now you feel, I've gone so far off the road, it's never going to happen. God is gracious. John can be born in your life. So that was Zechariah. Look at Mary. I mean, what did Mary say that was different from what Zechariah said? Because when the angel finished making her jump out of her skin, telling her not to be afraid, delivering the good news of the miraculous birth of Jesus, giving her the name... 
Mary responds like this in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Why wasn't that wrong? Why, why was it okay for her to say, why didn't she get struck dumb? She didn't seem to accept what the angel said by asking this question. How is it different? And I think this is an important thing for us to know because it, it, it will reveal to us whether it's okay to have questions. Is it okay to have questions? Is it okay to come to God with questions? This is an important thing for us to know. Has anybody got any questions? Any, any things that you still, oh crumbs, look, everybody already knows everything. Wonderful. Anybody still got any questions about God? I've got lots of questions. Is it okay to come to God with questions? It's an important thing for us to know because it was different how Mary responded because Zachariah says, how is this possible? I'm too old or you've got to be kidding at my age. Mary says, how can this be? Or, okay, how are we going to do this? I'm still a virgin. Ah, good point. (laughs) Okay, I'm open to this, but how are we going to do it? Zachariah says he can't be sure. Mary says she can't understand. Mary receives an explanation. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you Zechariah receives a rebuke and he's struck dumb by the angel. And you know, I think that Luke deliberately put these almost but not quite identical stories together so that we could compare them. See, the message that Luke seems to be giving us is be like Mary when you hear about Jesus. Don't be like Zechariah. Don't be like him. Don't be cynical. So what does this mean then? I'm just going to conclude with three things. Firstly, that having faith doesn't mean that we don't have questions. Doesn't mean that we don't have questions or that we are not careful to understand all that God is saying to us. It's okay to have questions. There's no such thing as blind faith because it is just that, it's blind You can't see where it's going and it leads to confusion. Mary had no idea how she could conceive a baby while she was still a virgin. Perhaps she wondered whether she needed to bring the wedding forward. Have you noticed if you're married and you've got wives, they're always practical, aren't they? Always practical. How are we going to do this? You've got all these big ideas, but let's bring it down to the nitty-gritty. Let's get it in the diary. Diary? Why do we need a diary? Let's just do it. How are we going to do this? Do we bring the wedding forward? Was the angel asking her to do something else to make this happen? Was there some other kind of response required by her to make this possible? Yes, Lord. I know you're asking me to do this. How do you want me to respond? Show me. I don't quite get it, but I'm willing. And these were perfectly good questions. And coming to God with our questions is what we must do, okay? We must come to God with our questions. I want to encourage you. Don't feel that because I've got questions, I can't speak out, I can't pray, I can't come to church, I can't pray out. No, come to God with your questions. 
Let him know what they are. And do you know what? So often he'll answer them. Maybe not in the way that you think, but he will. He'll answer them. He says, Jesus is the answer. (laughs) Jesus is the answer. Jesus will provide the answer. Wonderful, perfect questions. And it differs from Zacharias' cynical and prove-it-to-me response. And I want to just say, be careful about becoming disillusioned when perhaps you've had to wait such a long time, when what you've waited for suddenly appears, you see. When it suddenly comes in front of you, you might miss it. If you get disillusioned, if you allow that to get into your heart, when it finally comes, you might miss it. Because you're disillusioned. Be careful of that. And you know, there have been for some many false starts over the years. Do you know what I mean by false starts? Oh, it's going to happen. No, it isn't. False starts, false hope. Experiences that have come perhaps and excited you for a moment, but then it's gone. And it's just left you with these questions. Come to God with your questions. Secondly, beware of becoming cynical. And particularly, I mean about the supernatural. You know, about angels and stuff. About the presence of God. About encountering God. Beware of being cynical about these things. Christmas is all about God breaking into our world. It's all about heaven coming down to earth. Christianity is a supernatural religion. We expect to encounter God. You know, we expect to see healings and and miracles. We expect to have signs of his presence amongst us. Well, maybe you haven't personally encountered God yet. Maybe that's what the issue is. Well, it's all right for you, but I've just not had that. Oh, I just want to say, ask him. Ask him for a Christmas present. The presence of God. Ask him for an encounter with God. Ask him to turn your life upside down. He responds ever so well to those kinds of challenges. And then finally, don't disqualify yourself from God's promises. Do you know, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that. Don't disqualify yourself. God's promises are God's promises, not yours. They're God's. Zachariah's age wasn't a problem to God, neither is your age, stage, past, present, or future. Nothing can disqualify us. Nothing you've done can ultimately disqualify you from God's blessing. As the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible. Of course, Mary's concern was that she was a virgin, but that appeared not to be a disqualification, but her qualification. (laughs) And the unwitting fulfillment of an ancient prophecy, and she had no idea about it, where it says in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child. Perfect qualification, Mary. Virginity isn't a problem. It's your qualification. And you know, it's never too late to come to God. When we come to him, he makes us clean. 
He makes us clean and he gives us a new start. If you like, he makes us virgin. Makes us start again. We can start again. It's as if that's never happened. As if we've never been abused. It's as if we've never done that. It's as if, it's as if. Start again, new life. New creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, new start. Anybody need a new start? Anybody need a blank sheet of paper? Anybody like that old bit of paper to be screwed up and thrown away? Because all it is is cross, 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 wrong. Anybody had that experience at school? Would you love the schoolmaster of heaven to come and override it, pick it up, throw it away, and give you a new sheet of paper that says you're qualified? I qualify you by the blood of my son to start again. Fresh sheet of paper. That's what the gospel is about. That's what Jesus is about. That's what he's all about. New life. Zachariah blew it. And he faced the discipline of God for a time. But God still fulfilled his promise to him and forgave him for what he'd done wrong. You know, perhaps there are some believers here today who needed to hear that. Because he can do the same for you. You might have been a Christian for 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 40, 50 years. doesn't matter. You know that at that date, 1977, April the 3rd, I did that. And I've never been the same since. And I've never had the same relationship with God that I did have. Whatever date it is for you, you can have a new start as well. Because I believe that God wants to release you from the lie that says that God can't forgive you. So what do we say to an angel is really what to say to God. Because the angel was God's messenger. Luke wants us to have Mary's faith. I think that's what God wants us to have too. I love Mary's response in verse 38. This is what she says. Doesn't get it, doesn't understand it. But she says this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. (laughs) And then the angel left her. Job done. I want to just give you a moment. We're going to sing another song, so if the band would like to come. I want to give you a moment to come to God. Come to God with your questions. We run an Alpha course. Uh, and the next one starts on the 23rd of January. We run an Alpha course so that you can ask all the questions you ever want. You would be amazed at some of the questions we've had. I can't promise that we can answer all the ones about whether Jesus was actually an alien or not, as we've had on one occasion. But you can ask anything you want. It's a time to come and ask questions. It's a great opportunity to do that.
But come to God with your questions today. There's some of you maybe that have been hurt, been disillusioned. You've been on the journey for a few years now and you feel, I've just lost something. Ask the questions. Say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. But don't be disillusioned. Don't be cynical. Have Mary's heart. May it be to me, as you've said. I don't understand, but I'm your servant, Lord. Here I am, use me. Come to God with your disappointments. Let him heal you. Let him heal you. There's some forgiveness maybe that needs to be done. Some forgiveness needs to be done. But let him deal with your disappointments and heal you. Come to God with your sin and all that you've done wrong. You know, he can restore your life. He can make your life new. He can give you that clean sheet of paper. And do you know what? When God gives you that clean sheet of paper from heaven... And it comes down and and you see it and you look at the bottom. You know the bit that you always used to dread? The bit of paper when you handed in your exam. The bottom of the page, you would always dread. But you look down on God's bit of paper and do you know what it says? Well done. A hundred percent. God wants to give some bits of paper out, some certificates of approval. Not because of what you've done, because of Jesus and his perfection and his righteousness. Nothing that you can do to add to that or take away from it. Well done. Praise God.